This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is a mom who has a 16-year-old daughter who has a lot of social anxiety, who has a lot of shyness, has difficulty communicating, and she really is thinking ahead. She wants her daughter to be able to go off to college, to go off into the world, and they're struggling. Go ahead, Becky, just tell us about your family. Tell us about what's going on with you. I have a highly sensitive daughter who is dealing with anxiety probably her whole life. And if things didn't go right, then it was a problem. For me, it was probably more catastrophic than it was for her. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way, and I'll even tell you what to say. Hey, everybody. I just want to let you know, tomorrow, Saturday at noon, registration opens up for our teen parenting retreat in Vermont. It's being held the weekend of April 9th. You can come alone. You can come with your teen. You can bring the whole family. The brochure is live now on our website, flusterclocks.com. And there's a link in the show notes to give you all the information. So Robin, we have another Flusterclucks in-session episode where I talk to a real family about a real problem. This is a great one. I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to this. I loved this session, Lynn. And obviously, there's a lot in there that relates to our family, your family. Mm -hmm. I married into a family who has a tendency. (laughs) A tendency, yeah, to lose consciousness. Right. This was new to me. However, now I've learned more and more friends, kids. It's not a completely rare thing. It is not. People who experience this kind of fainting often don't know that much about it or have the right information about it. Including me, including my family. You know you do it, but you don't know what it is. An interesting episode, like you said, with a lot to it, including a little vasovagaling. We are here for our Fluster Clucks in session. So happy that you're here and so appreciative to everybody who agrees to participate with us because I think these sessions are really helpful to people listening and also I love doing them. So there, so it's a win-win. All right, go ahead, Becky. Just tell us about your family. Tell us about what's going on with you. Paint the picture for us. I've been listening to your program for some time now. I have a highly sensitive daughter who is dealing with anxiety probably her whole life. And I am probably the catalyst. When you say that it comes from a parent, it probably does come from me. You know, nervous. We have an only child and brought her up in a rural rural community where uh, there wasn't a whole lot of interaction for us as parents, new parents. We didn't have any support because we had moved to this community. So we didn't have support that I think you need for a new child growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, where you talk about the fact that if you have two adults that are primary in the child's life, 
we we probably had that though it might be a little sketchy in my opinion that it might not be as strong as i would like it to be mm-hmm. so i think that is when i became nervous and neurotic everything had to be perfect because we were it mm-hmm. that's what i would always say we're it we're all she has so much pressure to put on yourself right right and if things didn't go right then it was a problem For me, it was probably more catastrophic than it was for her. Mm -hmm. People started to leave our lives, whether it be by death or moving or pulled themselves out for whatever reason it was. So I felt we were becoming very isolated. We also lived in a community that you get one education. Mm. Both my husband and I are educated and we decided we need to move to an area that can afford her a better education that can give her what she needs and opportunity. We didn't have any opportunity for her to do things. They didn't have any exciting programs. The summer of her sixth grade, we moved to a better area that we felt was better. Seventh and eighth grade were great. She came thinking, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a flock of friends now. The first week she had 32 friends. Mm-hmm. But as we move into adolescence and high school, you know, your group narrows and and gets smaller and smaller. And her anxiety, I think, began to rise as she entered high school. She is a little bit young for her age, being an only child. And she's great with adults, not so great with kids her own age. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, she thought she would rather be invisible. Mm. Social media that she felt probably safer being invisible. She would stay away from social media because she saw what happened to other children that were targeted. Okay. She uses social media, but very little. Mm -hmm. And then we had an episode where she had a, a hospitalization because of a blood draw. She passed out and had that vasa vega. Mm -hmm. Vasovagal. Yep. I know it well. Okay. I am a card-carrying member of the Vasovagal <laughs> Club. I don't know if you've heard me talk about that, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I know okay. it well. <laughs> so we, she landed in the hospital. She probably didn't have to go to the hospital, but the EMT said, why don't you go? They'll give her some fluid. She'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Eight hours later, crashing in the hospital for eight hours because we don't have the best hospital, apparently. And her blood pressure went down to something like 54 over 34. And her heart rate was about 155, 160. She was crashing and nobody did anything for Mm. so long until I became that, I call it the Shirley MacLaine of Terms of Endearment. I know what you're talking about. That's right. (laughs) Yep. Finally, pediatrics came and, wow, let's get her some fluid. The poor thing's been crashing and I believe what I feel like happened is she felt like she was dying for eight hours. Mm. We stayed in the hospital overnight. She was afraid. Mm -hmm. And anxiety became our life. Mm. That episode really took it up another notch. Right. That was the point where we couldn't go out to dinner. If she felt dizzy, I'm going to die. I have to leave. I can't be in public. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. I can't. Mm. I can't. I can't. I can't. Became her her mantra. And how long ago was that, Becky? That was just about two years now. Okay. Just right when she got into freshman year. Okay. So we've dealt with things, found a therapist, Mm -hmm. 
We haven't dealt well. I mean, I'm st- of course, we're still working on it. Mm-hmm. She's working very hard with her second therapist, just trying to come out of the dark hole she was in of fear. Mm-hmm. I think her, her anxiety is fear-based. Yeah. And did anybody explain to her what a vasovagal response is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she has an understanding of that. Yes. And I saw your video that you showed to the children, you know, your little adrenaline pumps and things like that. Yeah. That is very helpful. And I'm just about to get her involved in that video and talk more about it. Okay. She hasn't learned about that in her therapy? She has. Yeah. In the beginning, when I didn't know about that, I tried working on what tools do you have to overcome your anxiety. Mm-hmm. Her her therapist would work with her on grounding and trying to get her just to go through those moments. And I, I believe she's progressing. Mm-hmm. Let me just pepper you with a few questions. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you guys are learning as a family to do in the treatment of her anxiety? When I thought about our session, I I think that is the place where we are not getting a good grade. <laughs> I see. Okay. We're learning. We're just learning now what, what we should be doing. Okay. And are you working with the therapist? I work with my own therapist. I check in with, but we are not involved in her therapy. It is an area where she's very private. Uh-huh. I'm trying to make it not as private, trying to make it, I have a hangnail, you have anxiety, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. I named my anxiety the other day after one of your one of your <laughs> sessions. <laughs> What'd you name it? Audrey. Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> so she's getting some help, but you feel mm-hmm. like you're a little in the dark about what she's working on and what you need to be working on. Correct. Okay. If you were to say, okay, so this is the thing that we need as a family. If I had a magic wand and I could go bing and just give you something, what would that be, do you think? Our focus right now is on preparing her for college. She loves school. Mm -hmm. She loves her teachers. She has older parents. She communicates with adults very well. Mm -hmm. A certain type of adult. I might have to add that caveat. If you are abrasive and aggressive, then she will just pull right back. Okay. She'd like to go to college. She's very interested in going to college. And yet I have this vision of her getting to the dorm and saying, I can't do it. Mm. It would be overwhelming because she right now, we put a plan in place at school, which is just a 504. And basically what her therapist said is that we want to work to get rid of that 504, but it gives her an assistance with the teachers that every single teacher calls me and says, how do I get her to speak to me? Mm. What am I doing wrong? Why won't she speak to me? She comes across as being a bit of a brat because she has selective mutism Mm -hmm. where her anxiety will take over her body and she will not be able to say anything, Mm -hmm. not be able to respond, not nothing comes out of her mouth. Okay. And I think some teachers think, well, you're just being bratty or a little disgruntled. Yeah. With selective mutism, it's interesting. Has she been that way since she was little? No. Okay. I can't say no. I believe that there are people in her life, I believe she probably had it, Okay, but it was not noticeable because she was very happy-go-lucky. She enjoyed everything. Okay. I always said though, growing up, if you want her to do something, 
You just need to ask her. She wants to join everything. Was never that child that would say, come on, let's do this. She wouldn't initiate. She had to be invited in. She would hang back a little bit. Yeah. And we refer to that as a behaviorally inhibited temperament. That's sort of the technical term. And all that means is that you're super sensitive, that the world sort of comes at you a little fast, and that you want to engage, but you hang back a little bit and and you're sort of slow to warm up. But then once you get there and once you feel comfortable, then you're really good at joining in. Absolutely. And what we know about kids that have this behaviorally inhibited temperament is that they are at much greater risk or what that often leads to is that what we then see as social anxiety. There's a lot of diagnostic categories for anxiety disorders, but the diagnoses usually just explain or give us shorthand for what it is that they're anxious about. If you have generalized anxiety disorder, that just means you're an equal opportunity worrier, right? Whatever comes across your screen, you'll grab onto and worry about. If you have social anxiety, it means that interactions with people, we often say, oh, they're just so shy or they don't initiate activity or they have trouble talking to people. And it really is about being afraid of judgment about what other people think, about whether or not you'll fit in, about what they're thinking about you. So it sounds like she probably fits in that category. That said, we don't pick one category and say, oh, well, she has social anxieties. We could just talk about it as she has anxiety. She is fearful of stepping into the world, and it can show up in a lot of different places. When you talk about her going off to college, one of the things that you want to make sure that she can do is that she can advocate for herself. She can engage in things, right? She's had a lot of adults around her, and she communicates well with adults, and they've been able to put things in place and make sure that she gets what she needs, and you and your husband are there to support her. But you're worried that when she's on her own, she's not going to be able to do that for herself. Correct. Or even leave the family unit. Mm. She's very safe at home. Okay. You said she loves school. She goes to school okay? She's fine about getting up and going to school? Okay. And does she participate in any extracurricular things? Does she have friends that she hangs out with? Her friend circle is very small to none. Okay. She, She did have a best friend who moved from here. It's just one whammy after another. And then she recently had some dental issue. So she had braces, wisdom teeth, the whole nine yards, Mm -hmm. and she could eat very little. So she was a swimmer on the swim team. I believe it was something that helped define her. That was something that took her anxiety right away. She just did it. Last year with COVID, didn't join. She was very afraid of COVID. Mm -hmm. And this year, she went to join and said, I don't like that anymore. Mm. She went for one day, swam 45 minutes, got out of the pool and said, I don't like it. I'm in a row with the people I know and like. I'm doing something that has always defined me and I decide I don't like it and quit. Mm. I think this is not okay. I feel like this is the anxiety getting the better of her. And her therapist assured me that she had the right words for leaving. She wanted to pursue another avenue of physical, what's the word? Activity, some other physical activity. Another group, a different group. She wanted to join that. And her reasons were valid, her therapist felt. My thought was that the dental issues, the braces, she ended up with TMJ, lockjaw. It was awful. 
she's able to eat very few calories a day. I don't think she had enough fuel in the tank to swim. Did she do what she told her therapist that she was going to do? Did she join another activity? They just finished one. And so the season ended. And so it may pick back up in January and she may. So this is the break period. So I don't know if she will join again, if there will be something appropriate that she will join. So she's sort of on the cusp of yes and no, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Okay. What do you see her learning about how to manage her worry, her anxiety when it shows up? I see baby steps. Mm -hmm. So in public, I used to have to order for her at the restaurant. So now she orders for herself. Mm -hmm. Although I think it takes a lot of energy, a lot of mind power to order and a lot of grounding or mm -hmm. so baby step. I think that's she's communicating a little bit more when we have people over mm -hmm. and trying to be more present. Okay. But other than that, I would say micro baby steps. And if I were to ask her or you were to ask her, what are the skills that you're learning to manage your worry or your anxiety when it shows up? Would she be able to articulate that? I don't know that answer. All right. That is where we are not communicating enough. Okay. So the first thing I would say is, and we'll get to you in a minute, but the first thing I would say is that it is okay for any parent, anybody, to say to their child's therapist, we really need some guidance from you as to what we should be doing. And I am really interested in hearing from you what she's learning about how worry works. And when her worry shows up, what are the skills that she's learning to deal with it when it arrives? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you've been listening to the podcast, but for those people who might not be as caught up as you are, we really want to make sure that we're not teaching kids or promoting to kids or to adults for that matter, this idea that we have to do things to get rid of worry, which means oftentimes what I call elimination strategies. So we have to teach you how to breathe. Not that there's anything wrong with kids learning how to breathe, but if it is put forth to a person who's struggling with anxiety, that the goal is to get rid of it, that backfires because that's really hard to do. So any elimination strategy. So if I hear, if a child says to me or if a parent says to me, well, we're learning coping strategies. And I say, well, what does that mean? And they say, well, we're learning breathing and we're learning counting and we're learning distraction. I sort of go, oh, okay. What are you going to do when the worry shows up? If I were treating your daughter and I would do this really early on, I would, for one, give her a lot of education about how worry works. So I would want her to know how her prefrontal cortex creates worry, how it activates her amygdala, like you watched in the video, all yes. of the physical responses so that they're not mysterious to her. So they're not mysterious to her. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, 
The Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists, and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded, so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free apple that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, 
Grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free, in bulk, nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. If she is a kid who falls into the category of social anxiety selective mutism, then the thing we really want to go after is how do you tolerate people's judgment? How do you tolerate not knowing what people are going to think of you? How do you tolerate the uncertainty of everybody else's thoughts or feelings or responses or reactions? Because that's what socially anxious people will say. They'll say, well, I don't know what she's thinking about me or I'm going to make a fool of myself, or I'm going to be embarrassed, or I'm going to be humiliated, or people are going to say things about me, or I don't know what they're thinking. And maybe they're being nice on the surface, but on the inside, they're thinking, oh, she's fill in the blank. Is that a part of social interaction? Yes, it is. That's the whole thing, Mm -hmm. is that social interactions are filled with uncertainties. We just don't know. We can guess, right? I mean, I have a good idea of people who like me and people who don't. I have a good idea of when I say something that somebody sort of makes a face and goes, oh, why'd she say that? Or when somebody says, oh, that's so helpful, right? I can judge things. But when you're socially anxious, social anxiety is a very internally focused state. So she's in her head all the time, thinking about what's going on with her and creating stories and imagining what's going on with other people. And when you're very internally focused, you don't get better at reading the external cues because you're inside your head. You're creating the story and you and your anxiety are coming up with the stories. And of course, anxiety never says, you know what? It's okay to not know exactly what people are thinking, or it's okay to take some risk, or it's okay to step into a situation where you feel uncomfortable. That's not what anxiety says. Anxiety says, I have to know exactly what's going to happen and I have to feel comfortable in order for me to move forward. So the first thing that you want to focus on, and I would, again, I would ask the therapist, what are the skills that she's learning to tolerate uncertainty? How do we as parents continue to have her step in so that she can begin to practice these skills? Mm -hmm. An example might be, what is the homework that she has or what are the tasks that she has and that you guys have for her to practice using her voice in situations where she feels uncomfortable. So you've already said, okay, so we're going to go to a restaurant and you're going to place your order. That's a great step. That's moving in the right direction. You're putting enough pressure on yourself. I can already hear that. But we, we want to pay attention to the fact that the clock is ticking because her goal is to be able to go off to college. So she's a junior now. So she's got the rest of her junior year and she's got her senior year. She's got time, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to take baby steps here. We don't want to throw her into the deep end without her not knowing how to swim. We don't want to take baby steps. So we want to move this along and we want to energize this. We want to do all the things that are the opposite of what her anxiety demands. So her anxiety is saying, slow down, take it easy. Let's not get uncomfortable. We don't want to push too hard. Everything has to be certain. That's what her anxiety is saying. We want to offer something that that's a little different than that, or even a lot different than that. We want to say, we want you to step into situations on purpose where you're going to feel that worry. You're going to feel that anxiety show up. 
So you can practice doing the opposite of what your anxiety demands. I think conceptually, you've got it. You're like, okay, so she has to move into situations. She has to step into situations. That's what you want. But now we've got to get her to buy into it as well. So if we were to ask her, and she's 16, right? So she deserves some privacy. It would be different if she was seven, right? If she was seven, I would be like, okay, we'll work with her a little bit. But Becky, we're really going to work with you. But she's 16. She wants some independence. If you were to ask her, if you were to able to talk to her and say, the skill that you're learning is being able to be more independent, being able to tolerate not knowing exactly how things are going, how can we on a regular basis, how can I as your mom, how can we set this up so you get to practice this? What could we do? Mm-hmm. What would be a way for us on a regular basis to push you into that uncomfortable zone on purpose so you can practice this. And if you were to say that to her, how do you think she would respond? Well, a a good example might be a gift she just got for her birthday, where somebody sent her a bracelet that said, today I will not worry. And she got a little annoyed at Mm -hmm. that. I kind of did too. I I honestly would get (laughs) annoyed. Right. So there's an elimination strategy. (laughs) If I had a picture of that bracelet, I would put it up on my Facebook and say, don't give your anxious kids this. (laughs) Today, I will not worry. Impossible. Impossible. Exactly right. Yeah. So I'm glad she got annoyed by that. Yeah. Yeah. What would you want the bracelet to say instead? Her mantra is have courage and be kind. That's her That's her mantra. That's a wonderful mantra. Yeah. And it's who she is inside. So she's very internalized with her yeah with her feelings this is something she doesn't like to be called out on those were her words which was wonderful that she said that to begin with that she said i don't like it when people call it out on me well because that's social anxiety right so like the little boy that i said to him when do you feel anxious and he said when i'm on the spot yes most people who have social anxiety say i don't want to be called out on it because that's the way this thing works right nobody wants to say like Hey, you have social anxiety. You want to talk about it? Hey, tell us all about your social anxiety, right? Mm. A wonderful way to shift her mantra a little bit. So have courage and be kind and show that to the world. Yes. Because courage on the inside and kindness on the inside, those are wonderful things, but both courage and kindness are things that we want her to do outside of herself, not inside of herself. How do you act? courageously? How do you act with kindness? And for her, interestingly, being able to act kindly is going to require for her to act courageously because it means she's going to have to step into that social realm. She's going to have to take some social risk, right? You can be the nicest person in the world, but if you are sitting in your house by yourself, nobody knows that you're nice. You could be an incredible opera singer, but if you're only singing in your closet, nobody knows that you're an incredible opera singer. Mm -hmm. Being able to say to her, one of the things that your anxiety does, one of the main things that your anxiety does is it prevents you from sharing your gifts with the world. And if your goal, which is a wonderful goal, is to be kind, kindness is something to be shared, not something to be hoarded not something to be hidden. And that may be a way to talk to her about that. 
I would absolutely say to her, I would be annoyed by that bracelet too. So what I would want that bracelet to say is you're going to worry every day and that's okay and normal. And we want to step into the world, even though we're worrying, we want to take our worry out into the world. The idea that you're not going to worry since you've become a parent, have you gone through a whole day without a single worry? Oh gosh, no. Me neither. This is why we want to externalize it. This is why we want her to become an observer of her worry. We want her to personify it so that then she can take her worry out into the world, but not let her worry define her. Yeah. She is much more than her worry. Yes. What we want to make sure doesn't happen is that she doesn't let go or lose track of or get rid of the other parts of her that aren't defined by her worry. If you're saying, you know, a big part of her identity was that she was on the swim team and she let go of that. And if a big part of her is that she's kind, but she's not showing the world that. If a big part of her is that she's really into learning and school, we don't want worry to take that away from her. Mm -hmm. Being able to say to her, your worry is going to show up. And I would give it a name, you know, whatever she calls it, Sylvia or Sally or whatever. We all have worry, but we are not going to let your worry define who you are or be in charge of all the other wonderful parts of you, the courageous part, the academic part, the swimmer part, the kind part, all of her other parts. When worry shows up and says, no, 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 I'm in charge and I will decide what you do and what you don't do. That's what we want her to begin to push back against. Yes. If you were to say to her, let's think about how we can practice stepping out Letting your worry show up. And it is paradoxical because we, we want to do things on purpose that get her worry to show up so she can practice responding to it. Mm -hmm. Going out to dinner in a restaurant, what would be some other things that you can imagine her practicing doing? When people say to me, well, the goal is to feel calm, I always say, no, 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 no. The goal is to get the worry to show up so you can practice managing it. So what else could you imagine her doing? Raising her hand in class. Okay. This 504 became, went in place because she can't respond in class. She can't, she keeps herself from participating in a group setting, anything that calls attention to herself in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of that does come from the world of social media that we live in, where people are not treated so kindly on social media. Yeah. If she's invisible, then no one can target her and no one can call attention to her, talk about her, say bad things about her. Well, and social media certainly doesn't help because social media is a place where judgment and harshness and all of that stuff has run amok. But I will tell you that kids that are socially anxious that have a hard time speaking in class have been around since like 1872. So we don't want to say, well, this is because of social media. But in school, what we, you're exactly right, is we want her to be able to participate in class. Does the 504 give her ways to not participate? Yes. I know that took that off the table. Basically, the 504 was in place so that the teachers knew she had this trouble speaking in class. And if they called on her, she may not answer back. So she wouldn't get penalized for that. Yes. That's what we want to have it do. So, that, so as she's working on this, 
if class participation is one of the grades that kids get and you've got a kid who's got social anxiety and they're not participating, we don't want her to be penalized for that. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, what happens with 504s when they're put in place is that they are generally 99% of the time when it comes to anxiety, and I'm only, everybody, I'm only talking about 504s for anxiety. Don't send me things about your child that has ADHD. I'm talking about anxiety. One of the things that they do is that they support avoidance in the absence of skill building. Mm -hmm. So if the 504 is in place that says, we want teachers to know about this, we don't want her to be penalized, this is not something that she should be punished for or judged for, but here's what we're working on in order for her to move off the 504. Yes. And that should be in the 504 as well. Mm-hmm. And she should be working with her therapist and with you to consistently be doing things that push her into that place. The more that you support avoidance and the more that the message is you can't do this until you feel comfortable, the longer this thing is going to go on. Mm-hmm. If you said to her, okay, so let's come up with a plan that you are going to have some sort of interaction with your teacher, what do you think she'd be game to try now? Is there anything she'd be game to try now? She'll work with the teacher after school, but working with the teacher comes easier to her. Okay, so she'd be willing to do that. Be careful when we come up with things to do to step into the anxiety. We don't just want to pick the things that are already easy. Mm -hmm. But that's great that she's willing to do that. She's got a lot of strengths here. She's got a lot of stuff for you to work with, right? Because she's going to school. She's academically motivated. She likes to learn. What about something with peers? Is there a risk that she'd be willing to take in the name of making this anxiety less powerful? Because her goal is to go to college, right? So yeah. if she wants to go to college, she's got to develop these skills. Just like if she wants to go to college, she's got to go to school. She's got to fill out applications. She's got to do all these things to get to college. And this is one of the things. Yeah. Can you think of anything that she'd be willing to do as a skill that she's building so that she can go off into the world? I think if she could just raise her hand in class, maybe answer one question. Okay. Read one passage out loud and step into the anxiety just once and see each time it, would, it might become easier. Yeah, it might, right? Okay, so that's great. And so here's what we have to do. Because if we say to kids, I want you to raise your hand in class and say something. That's like me saying to you, I want you for the rest of this podcast, Becky, I want you to speak Dutch. Go, yeah. right? You'd be like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so what we want to do is we want to give her steps. We want to let her know what's going to happen. So this is what I would say to her if I was talking to her. And say she said to me, say you two were in front of me and she said to me, I want to go to college. And you said, well, I think you should raise your hand and say something in class. Because you'd be like, oh, God, that sounds so hard. I said, no, absolutely. We're going to do it because the worry, because the anxiety doesn't want you to do it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to name your worry. We're going to give it a name. We're going to pull it out. And we're going to recognize this is what it does. So when you start to say to yourself, I'm going to answer this question. What can we predict that your worry is going to say? What can we predict that your body is going to feel like? How is your worry going to start to convince you that this is too risky? How is your worry going to shut you up? How is your worry going to shut you down? And what will we say to the worry when it shows up? 
because you're in a bit of a pickle right now because there's something that you want based on your strengths, based on all those other parts of you. And then there's something that your worry wants, which really isn't in keeping with your goal. So when your worry shows up, what do we want the response to be? Now, this is where we don't want to say, oh, worry, go away and never come back, or don't worry, or everything's fine. We want to be careful about that. You know, we go quickly into that reassurance. We want to say something like, worry, I knew you were going to show up because I'm doing the opposite of what you want. Mm -hmm. I know that you're going to want to do this. I know that you're going to want to shut me down. You do the same thing over and over and over again. And if worry had a mantra, it would be, you can't handle this. This is too risky. Don't do it. If we talked to worry and we said, hey, worry, do you have any dreams or aspirations for this amazing 16-year-old, this sweet, kind, courageous girl? Worry would be like, uh, not really. I mean, I really, I, I just want her to listen to me. I just want her to be certain and comfortable all the time. And if she has to stay in her bedroom all day, I don't care. I don't care if she swims. I don't care if she goes to school. I don't care if she goes to college. I don't care if she makes friends. I don't care. Worry doesn't care. We want to help her begin to see that in order for her to step out of worry's grip, to step out of worry's hold, that she's going to have to start doing things that the worry is strongly against. Mm -hmm. Her worry is very good at setting off her amygdala and getting her body going. And amygdalas become more responsive. The more you fire it off, the more they fire it off. Mm -hmm. So the more the amygdala is told, this is dangerous, the more it acts like this is dangerous because it believes, it believes you. That's its job. Its job is to respond. So you say to her, okay, you're going to do an experiment where you're going to raise your hand or you're going to answer a small question. And we know that worry is going to show up. We know that worry is going to tell you you can't do it. We know that worry is going to make you feel panicky. We know that worry is going to set off your amygdala and shut you down. We know all of this is going to happen. And when you do it anyway, you are going to do it not because it feels comfortable, not because it feels easy. You're going to do it because we are retraining your brain. And in order for you to go off into the world, we need to do some retraining of your brain. Mm -hmm. Worry doesn't care. Worry wants to help you avoid and we can take little tiny baby steps with this, but we don't have to. Mm -hmm. Why do people take risk? Because there's something that they want. Yes. There's something that they want. So her being very clear about what she wants, her being very clear about what worry is keeping from her is going to be enormously helpful, mm -hmm. right? You got to have a want to. You got to have a want to. And with older kids, with teenagers, it oftentimes revolves around social stuff or whether or not they want to get their driver's license or whether or not they want to go off to college or if they have dreams about what kind of job they want to have or what experiences they have. Got to have a want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So saying to her and saying to her therapist, well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. What are the things that we're going to put in place so that she can practice and so that we can really work on retraining her brain? Yes. And you, you're allowed to ask that very directly. Yes. Right. I believe absolutely what you're saying. It, her worry brings her to the point where she will end up back in that hospital, mm. dying again for eight hours. It all comes to what she has to get through. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was a totally scary experience. Here's what I'm remembering. You said that she had experienced this a long time before. Yes. Just not to this. Not to that extent. So that's when things got really big and that's what really sort of shut her down. Mm -hmm. She needs somebody to be very clear with her to help her understand that she had a vasovagal response because she was having a blood draw. Mm -hmm. I've had a gazillion of them. Mm -hmm. When that happens to somebody and then the other people around you don't know that you're somebody who does that, they really overreact. Mm -hmm. They really overreact. I had one standing out in front of an emergency room door because I had fallen and thought I broke my elbow and I was waiting for my husband to park the car and I passed out. It's not a good place to pass out standing in front of the ER door at a major hospital, right? They freak out. <laughs> so it was really scary for her. But what you have to make sure you're not doing about that incident is that you're not making that a defining moment. Okay. And I can hear in your language and the way you talk about it, that it has become a defining moment. And for her, it's become a defining moment, mm -hmm. right? This is the way that worry works. This is the way that anxiety works. It is not doing anything to her that's different than it does to anybody else. This is the way this thing works. Mm -hmm. And so if you say, well, what really is shutting her down is she has this fear of dying. She thought she was going to die for eight hours. You are amplifying that event. You're catastrophizing it. <gasps> oh, how will she ever get over this? How does somebody get over? We don't want to do that anymore. And, and she was probably just in there just being anxious and anxious and anxious and anxious and anxious. A vasovagal response is your blood pressure drops. That's what it is. Some information about that would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. But I don't want that to be the defining moment. Okay. Because this thing didn't show up. It, it certainly scared the bejesus out of everybody. Mm -hmm. 
she has this behaviorally inhibited temperament that was around a long time. And the therapist should be working on this with her to say, there are all these skills that you can learn because you've got this temperament. We're not going to change your temperament. But now we've got to work with this temperament because it's becoming, there are too many things defining her. Mm -hmm. And we want other things to define her more than she has this worry. She had this event. You know, she had braces and she had her wisdom teeth out and she got TMJ. We don't want that to define her. Mm -hmm. Right. This is what happens when we globally catastrophize. Mm -hmm. Things happen. If I were to sort of sum up and kind of put it in order, step one is that she needs a whole lot of really good education about how this thing works. I want this demystified for her. I want it normalized for her. And the great thing that you have going for you is that she is really, she's a learner. Yeah. She's curious. Mm -hmm. So we want her to become a student of the work, mm -hmm. as my friend Reed would say. We want her to become kind of an expert on this, how this thing works. Because right now she's an expert on how to worry, but she's not an expert on understanding how worry works and what we can do. So I want her to become an expert on it. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, is that I want you to talk to the therapist and talk to your daughter about how you're consistently going to do, and you can support her. She's got to do it because she's 16, but how you can support her in consistently having her step into situations where the worry shows up so that she can practice and so that she can retrain her brain. Yes. Her amygdala right now is fired up and is ready for action. It's on standby. It's on alert. <laughs> yeah, it is on alert. It is, this, that's what we say. She's, she's hypervigilant, right? And then the third thing we want to do is we want her to be very clear about why she is going to do this thing that's going to feel difficult and going to feel uncomfortable and how important it is that she be engaged in this process. And I think a real hook, a real place for you to hang your hat, Becky, is she wants to be courageous and kind which means that she has to be out in the world sharing her courage and sharing her kindness, not keeping them to herself because everybody's missing out on a person who says, I want to be kind in the world because boy, we really need a lot of those people. Mm -hmm. I would say to her, if she were in front of me, I would say to her, we need to amass an army of 16-year-olds whose goal in the world is to be kind. Yeah. And you need to share that with the world. Your worry doesn't care, but you do. That's what I would say to her. Her worry is keeping her from sharing her courage and kindness with the world because it's an internally focused issue and we want her to be more externally connected. And I would be very concrete about it and very, you know, we're going to work on this. It's like she's learning how to tie her shoes. And I'd be very ma matter of fact about it. I would be very demystifying about it, and I would be really careful not to talk about her worry in catastrophic terms. Mm -hmm. That's what I would do. Fabulous. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. You always do. <laughs> <laughs> Ask my husband if I always make sense. <laughs> this is a plan. Do you know, also, there is a video. I'm going to get it to you. 
Okay. But I was at the Psychotherapy Networker, which is a big conference a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And they have this event. One of the clinicians that's there presenting gets up and sort of tells a story, you know, your most defining moment or your most difficult client or somebody that changed you, blah, blah, blah. I, one year I had to do it and I got up and I told a story and it's called I'm Funny and I Faint. And it's about this. I'm going to send you that video and I want you and your daughter to watch it. Okay. Because we want to demystify this vasovagal thing. Yeah. And we want to take it out of this context of she almost died. Yeah. I want her to get information about that. Yeah. Because worry is really good at telling really big, scary, catastrophic stories. That's what it does. Mm -hmm. You hear a bump at night. You're convinced that somebody is coming in with a machete to decapitate you. And really, it was your cat just playing with a crayon. Yeah. We want to make sure that we're not amplifying this story mm -hmm. and making it, as I said, her defining moment. Right. She has a lot of fear around all of her anxiety as well. You know, her yeah. fear of going downstairs in the house or being alone in the house or it is amplifying itself. Yeah. Well, that's what anxiety is fear. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, when you say, you know, oh, well, I think it's fear. Anxiety is a fear of, right? But it's an overestimation of a problem and an underestimation of your resources to deal with it. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way to define it. And that would be something that would be really helpful for her to hear. And the resources to deal with it, to work with it, what would be another good avenue for me to research? Have you read my book? Have you read Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents? No. Bad me. No, that's okay. That's okay. That's going to give you a plan. That's going to lay out in really great detail all of these things that I'm telling you. It's got seven puzzle pieces. Okay. So when I talk about resources, I'm really talking about internal resources and having a plan. It's really about staying out of this elimination language that so many people use. Mm-hmm. A lot of therapists, and I don't know if her therapist is doing this, but a lot of therapists are all about calming down. So they teach breathing. They teach, like you say, grounding. It's all about sort of like in the moment, how do I calm down? We can do so much more than that. It's really about having a strategy for stepping into uncertainty rather than ways to control your symptoms when they show up. So even coming to this video, you know, I had to sit here for a minute because I was, I was very nervous. Yeah. Yeah. But you did it. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. And being able to tell your daughter, like, you're working on this too. Right. You know, you've really got a lot of things working in your favor. The fact that she is a curious learner, the fact that she's going to school, the fact that she's engaged in that, you're going to really be able to use that. Yeah. And she just needs to learn some skills about how to step into uncertainty. Her job now is to practice them. Wonderful. Keep it simple. Keep it concrete. Keep it active. Great. That's wonderful. I, I appreciate you very much. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you being so open and being so willing to share this. What you are describing, we're getting a lot of feedback from people about just the first two episodes that we've done this with families. And we are picking things on purpose that we know a lot of people can relate to. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be an awful lot of people who will be able to relate to having an anxious 16-year-old and they're thinking ahead and thinking, how are we going to get this kid into the next step in her life? Right, right. I really appreciate how willing you were to share this. Thank you. <laughs> 
that's a part of your kindness, I think. Thank you, Lynn. Okay. Take care. I loved this session. The two of you got into such a very constructive conversation and a way to reframe what this family had been through. You could replace her episode in the hospital with a variety of experiences other kids have had. Mm -hmm. A very scary experience sort of starts becoming the definition of that person. Mm -hmm. What's your advice of taking hold of the story in a proactive way? Well, yeah, that's such a great question. And that's exactly what I was going after in this episode. We've talked about this before, just in general, how a diagnosis becomes your identity or people look at a singular event as becoming an identity. Remember many, many episodes ago, we talked about that situation where the family hiking, the big boulder had fallen on the daughter and that trauma became the identifying episode. What you'll hear me do in this episode, which is what families need to do, is to not go global with one particular part of you, be it a diagnosis or be it a disability or be it, if we want to call it a weakness or whatever, to not go global with that and to really make sure that we are talking about all the different parts of a person. And I think that's what I was really trying to say is that this event happened and it was defining all of her. You'll hear me talk about the other strengths that she had and what she wanted to share with the world. And that's just a way that I think in therapy is how do I make sure that I am amplifying strengths rather than promoting trauma, promoting weaknesses, promoting diagnoses. We talk about the skills about trauma and that trauma can be from the source of so many things, mm -hmm. from an event like she experienced, systemic racism. There are a variety of traumas people carry, mm -hmm. and it comes back to that skill that you talk about of differentiation right? as being a foundation to work through it. Right. And it's not about denying it. It's not about minimizing it. It's also about the way we tell a story and the way we understand something and the way we perceive it and the way we internalize it has a lot to do with how people recover from trauma. And what you hear in this is that they really didn't have an understanding of what was going on. They really didn't even have the language to talk about it. And so this episode that happened, which is familiar to me, actually, became perceived as that she was dying for eight hours. That is powerful language to describe something that happens to somebody because they didn't have the information about it. You know, I want to pick up this conversation about the vasovagal response because you have it. I sound like I'm talking about the force. You have it. Your brother has it. <laughs> Your father has it. My husband has it. My sister has it. We should talk about that next week. Because yeah. I think this is an interesting intersection of the physiological and the mental responses of anxiety in the body. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be considered for a family session with Lynn, the link is in our Facebook group. So join the Facebook group and maybe you can be on one of these episodes this year. That would be great because I love doing them. Anybody that's stuck or anybody that really wants to spend some time talking about this and who's willing to join us, love to have you. So everybody join the Facebook group so that you can get all the information about our 2022 events first. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. 
The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 